morning is, in fact, Palm Sunday. And um, it's the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, the first day of the last week of his life, if you will. And um, I think it's a day that was uh, greatly misunderstood by the Jewish people. Uh, The Jewish people thought that Jesus perhaps would be uh, the one who would be their king to overthrow the Roman Empire and restore Israel and Jerusalem back to like it was in the days of David, when King David was their king in the glorious days. And when Jesus didn't do that, um, instead his own people rejected him. And uh, I'm always fascinated in um, Luke chapter 19. We read the first part of this, but I'd like to pick it up in verse 41. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says that as Jesus drew near and saw the city, which would be Jerusalem, he wept, he cried, Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in, people are all excited, palm branches, coats, you know, the whole thing. Uh, But Jesus is crying on his way into Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Ah, you only understood why I'm here. If you only knew the things that would make for real peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't get what time it is, according to the revelation of God through the Old Testament. You didn't realize what time it it was. And you didn't realize why I was here. And you didn't carefully study the scriptures. And here's Jesus crying, uh, knowing that he's on his way to the cross. And so I'd like to kind of just ask you, you know, do you know what time it is in the prophetic revelation of God about uh, the, the course of history? Uh, perhaps you're watching the news, and as uh, Skip, you know, prayed, uh, all around Israel, things are pretty lively, right? There's a lot going on in the Middle East. There's our whole thing, uh, our president and Mr. Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. Uh, there's the deal with Iran about nuclear weapons. Uh, there's uh, different uh, uh, Muslim groups fighting each other. Uh, and there's a, a really interesting, you know, times to live. Are we aware of the times that we live in? What does it mean? And so on. And so uh, we've seen that it's been God's intent to bless people with his goodness since the beginning of time. God made a promise uh, that he was going to bless people. And that promise went to Abraham. And from Abraham, it went to Isaac. And then it went to Jacob, who was named Israel. And then it went to the nation of Israel. And then it went to King David. And he was promised a, a kingdom that would last forever and so forth. And it's through the uh, Jewish nation that Jesus comes to us and so forth. And as this whole uh, promise progresses through the Old Testament. We watch, and God is stewarding that promise. He's protecting that promise. In spite of the fact that the people don't listen to him, in spite of the fact that his people uh, resist him, you remember what Israel means? The name Israel means strives with God. And if you read the Old Testament, you're like, wow, that was well-named, right? strives with God. They don't listen. They don't obey. They don't. And in spite of all of that, God is stewarding, preserving this promise 
that he's made since the beginning of time. And so uh, because of that uh, resistance on the part of his people, uh, pr- probably the worst thing that could possibly happen happened. And uh, in 586 B.C., 586 years before Christmas, right, before Christ, 586 B.C., the Babylonians come in and take over uh, what's left of the nation of Israel. And Jerusalem, the capital city, uh, falls uh, into the hands of the Babylonians. And uh, probably the worst thing that could happen because uh, with that, it appeared that the promise that God made to King David, Israel's greatest king, failed. Like, Everybody thought, you know, you're going to have this kingdom that's going to last forever, and now all of a sudden the kingdom is gone. Uh, On an earthly basis, on a a physical basis, uh, all of a sudden the kingdom is gone. And God's chosen people now are hostages, slaves, exiled into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, right? Uh, Which is uh, on your TV on a regular basis these days, modern-day Iraq. And so the first assault of the Babylonians came about 19 years before 586, uh, in the year 605, and uh, that was the first assault. There were three assaults. The last one was in 586, where the city fell and so forth. Uh, But the first one came in 605, and on that occasion, there was a young man and his friends who were taken captive, a man by the name of Daniel, right? Uh, Most uh, people feel he was maybe 15, 16 years old at that time. And um, Daniel was taken captive. um, And you can read in Daniel chapter 1, in the first verse, you know, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Uh, Verse 3, Then the king commanded uh, Asphenas, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king says, look, I want the choice young people. And uh, we're going to bring them home and we're going to... you know, train them to serve in the king's court. And so you can read, you know, the first uh, chapter here in, in Daniel and so forth, um, and what happens and so forth. But that's what happens to Daniel. He ends up uh, being in the king's court. And so Daniel, the word Daniel, uh, actually means God is my judge. That's what his name means, God is my judge. And it seems that Daniel lived his whole life conscious of God being his judge, because there is not one single negative thing said in the entire Bible about Daniel. I mean, he's just a choice guy. And I've always thought, you know, that we here in Fairfield, I don't know if you remember, but this church, you know, got started with three Sunday schools of kids coming off the boat from Sweden. And uh, around in Bridgeport, there were three Sunday schools of people who were concerned to share the gospel and help their kids come to know Christ and so forth. And those three Sunday schools basically coalesced and uh, became, you know, the roots of this church, which is 100 and, I don't know, 35 more years by now. And um, I've always thought that here in this area, some of the choicest young people live. They have every advantage here compared to other places. In fact, um, somebody, Sergio, told me that... um, uh, People's Bank, I think it is, did some kind of survey and uh, to sort of project how they're going to do their business in the future. And they discovered that 
The most intellectual people in the country come back here. We have the best schools, the best hospitals, you know, the, the, the leading edge of uh, the, the most intellectual young people find their way back here. And so I always thought, as a church, you know, we have a stewardship. And that's what happened. They came, they looked for the Daniels. And uh, Daniel and his friends were hauled off, and they were groomed, if you will, um, in, in order that uh, they might serve in this foreign country. Um, so three times in the book of Daniel, a messenger comes from God and says to Daniel, you are greatly loved. Three times. You are greatly loved uh, by God. And uh, it's kind of interesting because I think that uh, just about everybody, in fact, I'll say everybody, has a deep need in their life to be loved, right? And I would suggest to you that only God can meet that need. And that most people are running around trying to find another human being to meet that deepest need in their life. Now, it's great to be loved by a human being, but it's not the same as being loved by God. And so three times... Thou art greatly loved by God. And I ask myself, what would I give in order to hear God say, you are greatly loved? And then it, I said to myself, it occurred to me, guess what? If you will look at the cross on Good Friday, you will hear God say it to you, you are greatly loved. I am taking my son and putting him on the cross in your place. You are greatly loved. And so Daniel uh, is, you know, in this training thing, and, and uh, he becomes a statesman. He becomes a, a politician, if you will. And Daniel's job is to sort of mediate God's revelation for both Israel and the secular nations. And he's given by God this very special gift. He has the ability to interpret dreams and visions. So you have a dream, you call up Daniel, Daniel tells you what it means. And in those days, that's one of the ways that God would communicate with people, Right? You read in Hebrews chapter 1, you know, in the past, there's been many ways in which God uh, communicates with people. Well, dreams and visions were one of those back in those days. Uh, in these latter days, that passage says, God has spoken to us by his son. And so Daniel has this special ability from God. And at first, he interprets the dreams that other people have, especially the kings that he serves under. He served under four different kings. He had a long ministry, Daniel. Four different kings. And uh, first, they would have the dreams, and they would call him. And uh, we don't have the time to kind of go all through that, but it's fascinating. Um, and so he has that ability. But then in the second half of his book, God gives Daniel dreams. And Daniel interprets those dreams. And those, you know, are especially relevant for us because they're about the times in which we live. And um, when we uh, think about how Daniel foretells what's called the times of the Gentiles, uh, which began in 605 when Daniel was exported, if you will, and, um, and then is still continuing till today, the times of the Gentiles. In Luke chapter 21, uh, Jesus uh, is speaking, and he said, there will be great distress upon uh, the earth and wrath against the people, and uh, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So God has, in his mind, a period of time in which the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people like us, it's the time of the Gentiles, and it's the time when the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uh, are dominant over Jerusalem. 
started in 605, still going on today, right? And so uh, it's very interesting to kind of take Daniel and to think about the times in which we're living on. Uh, living in. It's the time that we're living in right now. And so when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, uh, came to Jerusalem in 586 BC, uh, Zedekiah, a guy by the name of Zedekiah, was the king of Israel. He was an evil king, but he was a king and he was uh, in the genealogy of David. He's the last, you know, king over Jerusalem uh, in David's line, right, for 2,600 years until today. He's the last king from David's line. Remember, God made the promise that David, your kingdom will never end. It'll be eternal and so on and so forth. And so uh, Zedekiah was the last king in the line of David. And uh, I don't know, he tried to escape, you know, um, and they caught him um, in uh, the end of uh, Kings, 2 Kings. At the very end of the 2 Kings, chapter 25, it says, um, uh, verse 5, uh, the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. And they overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. And then they uh, captured the king, and they brought him to the king of uh, Babylon in Riblah. And uh, they passed sentence on him, and they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. So this last king, they make him watch his sons be murdered. Then they pull his eyes out so that it's the last thing he ever saw. And I read that just to say, when you read about the brutality that's going on with like the people uh, of ISIS and some of the things that are going on, it's nothing new. This has been going on for a long time, right? We're talking about 600 years before Christ and uh, uh, Daniel's revealing and telling us about this. And it's the times that we're living in. And so um, King Zedekiah was the last Davidic king to rule in Israel for the last 2,600 years. Now, before all of this happens in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel lays out um, how it's going to go down before it ever happens. And uh, we, at this stage in time, can look back, and with history, we can see this is exactly what happened, but Daniel laid this all out before it ever happened. And so in 605, Babylon comes and starts to take over Jerusalem. 586, it's completed. Uh, so the Babylonians are ruling over Jerusalem. In 536 B.C., uh, it's the Medo-Persian uh, uh, dynasty that comes and takes over Jerusalem, beats Babylon. That's modern-day Iran. That's uh, modern-day Iran, the, the people that we're trying to make a deal with now about Israel, uh, about nuclear weapons and so forth. And then in 322 B.C., the Grecian Empire, which is modern-day Syria, uh, comes in and begins to rule over Jerusalem. And then in 63 B.C., uh, the Romans come and they take over, you know, the Roman Empire was absolutely huge and uh, included many of the Arab nations uh, that are around today. And uh, all of this is laid out by Daniel, these four empires that will rule over Israel and over Jerusalem, the times of the Gentiles, when there's no Davidic king, when this promise that God made that's uh, connected directly to the nation of Israel seems like it's up in smoke. And I would suggest to you that um, this period of time that Daniel's talking about uh, goes into the 400, so-called 400 silent years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, right? From Malachi to Matthew, there's 400 years. There's no prophets. There's no word from God. There's just silence, right? 
And uh, Daniel's talking about what's happening during those 400 years. And uh, the end of Daniel talks about that as well. And, um, and then, you know, something really, really big happens. Uh, after that period of time, Caesar Augustus, the Roman you know, emperor, um, 600 years after that last Davidic king, you know, uh, he passes a degree, a decree, you remember, um, that says that everybody has to go to their hometown to register. He's going to take a census. And it just so happens that Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and Mary and Joseph, because they're of the genealogy of David, King David, have to go to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, which is where David was born, to register. And it just so happens that Jesus, the next king, the coming king, who's going to uh, rule over Israel and from Jerusalem rule over the whole world, as the scriptures reveal in the future, um, it just so happens that he's born there in the city of David uh, at that time. And Mary gives birth to the next and the last Davidic king. And uh, you know, right, from Christmas that shepherds are in the field and the angels announce it. It's like a big deal. Wise men come from the east to worship who? The king of the Jews, right? The king of the Jews. And uh, so Jesus, you know, lives his life, however, under Roman Empire, and his own people will not receive him. And uh, he says that Jerusalem is going to be, you know, uh, under the feet of the Gentiles, uh, until the times of the Gentiles are up. So, you have this going on for a long time. And then in 1948, just so happens the year I was born, 1948. Yeah, you can do the math. It's really sad. But um, Israel becomes recognized as a nation. And uh, it's the first time in a long, long time. And Israel, as you know, if you know the history there, has to fight these wars, you know, just to survive uh, if you just look at it today and watch the news and, and think of the threats that are posed all around her, um, you see yet again, you know, this threat to it, her existence. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel revealed these four different kingdoms that would dominate over Jerusalem. And then he also talked about a fifth world empire, right, that has not yet come. It's, the, it's this colossus, it's this statue, and the, you know, the head is Babylon, and you work your way down, and the toes represent this ten-nation federation made out of iron and clay, strong and tough and fragile at the same time. Now, just think about what group of people do you think would, would that describe? People who are tough and strong but held together with clay and easily you know, can't get along with each other kind of thing fall apart and all of that kind of stuff, right? There's this ten-nation federation out of which, the Bible says, this little horn, this kind of insignificant person arises and uh, becomes sort of the leader. And that person is identified in other places throughout the scripture as the Antichrist. Um, and the, so this fifth world empire that's yet to come, and so everybody keeps looking, you know, for this uh, kind of uh, ten-nation federation that comes together and uh, in Daniel chapter 2, after that group of people comes and does what it does, and then there's a stone that Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 2 that comes and crushes that federation of people. And the stone is Christ. And it's pretty easy to see who it is. And uh, it's talking about the second coming of Christ. And he destroys this world kingdom and the Antichrist and all the Gentile kingdoms that have dominated over Israel in um, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 35, all of those kingdoms 
come down together as this whole colossus collapses. All of those kingdoms come down together. All of those kingdoms that are surrounding Israel, that are in our news today, come down together. When you read it, it's pretty fascinating. And then uh, Daniel begins to have his own dream that covers the same period of time. And uh, it's not just, you know, about Israel, but it's about the nations. And in, his, in Daniel chapter 7, you can read that. But in Daniel chapter 9, and that's where I'd like to um, focus this morning, in Daniel chapter 9, um, we have uh, what's often called the backbone of prophecy. And uh, all the other prophetic things begin to make sense when you understand the timing that God reveals through Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And so it's really a crucial passage of Scripture, kind of the the backbone of Scripture. And so now we're nine chapters into Daniel. So uh, guess what? Babylon has been taken over by uh, the Persians. All right? And so in Daniel chapter 9... In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, uh, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So there's a whole, we've moved down now, past the Babylonians, now the uh, the Persians, the uh, Medo-Persia, and um, has taken over. And so we know the uh, year of that, it'd be 538 B.C., 538, 586, uh, Jerusalem fell, 538, Babylon falls, and uh, Daniel's been exiled now for 67 years, right? So if he was 15, 16 years old when he was taken, he's like 82 or 83 years old now by chapter 9, all right? So he's lived a while. He's got the lay of the land. You know, he's got his brochure for Elam Park out, and he's trying to figure out, you know, at 83, what should I do next, and, and so on and so forth. But no, he's not actually reading uh, the Elam Park brochure. Look at verse 2, what really happens to him. He says, in the first year of his reign, in the first year of that uh, reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. You know what he's doing? He's having devotions. He's reading his Bible. And he's in Jeremiah, right? And uh, he's reading in Jeremiah... And he comes across uh, these verses in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and 12. Uh, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation uh, of the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land a devastating, everlasting waste, and so on and so forth. So, you know, Daniel's having devotions. He's reading in Jeremiah, and he comes across, and he says, oh, 70 years. So he pulls out his iPhone, and he punches on calculator, and he does the math, and he says, oh, my goodness. The 70 years are almost up. What's next for my people? What's going to happen when the 70 years are up? Right? And so in Daniel chapter 9, he prays. And he turns to God because he wants to know, now that the 70 years that you, God, said... You know, uh, the nation of Israel and uh, Jerusalem would be underfoot of the Gentiles. Uh, Those 70 years are uh, almost up. And so I want to know, like, what's going to happen next? What what happens after the 70 years are finished? What's next for Israel? What, you know, what's your plan? And so he prays. And Daniel starts uh, his prayer uh, with confession. Verse 3. He says, "Um, then I I turned my uh, face to the Lord, God. 
seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and uh, made confession saying, O Lord, uh, the great and awesome God who keeps promises or covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Notice the we. There's not a negative thing said about Daniel in the entire Bible, but he identifies with his people. He identifies with the Jewish people. He says, we have sinned. We have turned from you. Uh, Look at this, verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. You sent people to teach us. You sent your scriptures. You sent, you know, we have not listened. We got better things to do than to listen to you, God, uh, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Uh, As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, uh, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. He was aware of it. He knew it. This is a serious prayer, right? I mean, it's a model prayer. This is a great, you know, he's, he's not just kind of casually, you know, throwing this stuff out it's like he's in sackcloth he's fasting he's turning his face towards god he's in a a mode of serious prayer and he starts with confession and i think when's the last time we prayed and we start with confession when we look at that cross on good friday and we see jesus hanging there you know why is that well it's because we sinned. and when we turn to the face of god it's a great place to start is uh with confession And uh, there's nothing in Daniel that's praying, you know, oh, God, you're not being fair. We're sick of this captivity. We're being treated poorly. You know, we don't deserve this. We're victims. Poor us. You know, none of that. Just own your stuff. And Daniel, that's what he's doing. He's owning his stuff before God. And uh, so you can read this whole section, this prayer. It's, It's really like a model prayer. And then And then his prayer um, turns from confession uh, to asking God. And so in verse 16, if you pick it up, he's still in prayer, but now he's not talking about confession so much. And by the way, when you read through this, you'll see that Daniel's big concern is God's reputation, just like Ezekiel. He's not like, oh, poor me. He's like, your reputation is at stake here. We're your people. We're the, you know, everybody knows that we're the people that you brought out of Egypt and that you identified personally. We're your people and look at us. We're an embarrassment to you. Your reputation is destroyed because we're here in captivity and you can just read through that prayer. But in verse 16, he starts now and he says, Oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Uh, Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword. Um, That really means like an epitaph. Uh, In other words, people were saying, you know, we don't have to deal with God because look at you guys. You're supposed to be God's people and look at the way you live and look at how you're captives and look at, you know, and so forth. And so uh, your people have become a byword, right, among all who are around us. Think of who's around them, right? 
And now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's thinking about Jerusalem. He's thinking about the temple. And Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that's called by your name. For we do not uh, present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Notice the basis on which he prays. Please do something about our situation for your own name's sake so that the world will understand who you are and so forth. So while he's praying and while he's trying to find out what is going to happen to my people, what's going to happen to Jerusalem next, and so on and so forth, in verse 20, look what happens. While I was speaking and praying in the middle of his prayer, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, if you go back to Daniel's vision, you'll see, uh, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. What Gabriel is going to reveal is to give insight and understanding, but I would suggest to you, not just to Daniel, but to us, because he's talking about the times of the Gentiles. He's talking about what's going to happen to Jerusalem between where they are now and when they will rise again and when Jesus will come the second time and uh, be their king and so forth. And so, oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Take some time, meditate on this, get a grip on this, understand the vision, and so forth. Where is history going? Why is Israel being treated like it is? And so forth. And uh, so the question on Daniel's mind is, you know, what's going to happen after the 70 years captivity in Babylon? Uh, Daniel wants to know. He's in his 80s. And um, so Gabriel says this, verse 24. Here's what God has decreed or set aside, if you will, for the nation of Israel. 70 weeks or 70 sevens. The word for week and the word for seven is the same. In the Hebrew language. So this is 70 sevens, or, you know, uh, 490 years. 70 sevens are decreed by God about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. God says there's another, it's going to take 490 years to finish this transgression. As a matter of fact, that verse 24 is just a great verse. Um, look what it says. There's six things. It's going to take 490 years to accomplish these six things uh, uh, among the people of God. Seventy weeks are decreed, 490 years. Uh, to number one, finish transgressions. A, a transgression, you know, if you ever drive past somebody's house and there's a sign on the front lawn that says, you know, do not trespass, right? If you trespass, you put your foot on their front yard or whatever, that's a transgression. You're going over, you know, and God lays out these, you know, don't trespass. He lays out these 
you know, here's the boundaries. Don't, don't put your big toe over the boundary. And of course, Israel constantly, time and time, we could illustrate all of these. Uh, but the first thing that's going to happen is somehow the people are going to stop transgressing God's laws, God's rules. Second, to put an end to sin. There's coming a time when Jesus himself will rule over the world from Jerusalem and the world will be filled with the righteousness of God. There will be an end to sin. Can you think about how great that would be to live in a world without sin? Where nobody lies, where everybody tells the truth, where you don't have to worry about anything. There's going to be an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. Um, To make atonement or to... um, Uh, Make amends, to atone, make amends. Of course, that's what Jesus does, right? He goes to the cross, he makes amends between us and God. He gets rid of sin. You know, he puts his spirit in us so we can stop trespassing and so on. And so this is what's going to happen to Israel someday. And see, to bring in everlasting righteousness. There's going to be a time when righteousness will be what everybody is into. Uh, Anybody that's left on the face of the earth, everlasting righteousness, and to seal both vision and prophet. There will be an end of prophecy. All that God has revealed uh, up to this time, uh, once that time comes, when Israel is restored and Jesus rules the world uh, in the millennial kingdom and so forth, there'll be no more prophecy. Uh, The prophecy doesn't go beyond that. All right, and that'll be the end. And everything that was prophesied will be finished, I think is the sense of that. And uh, seal up vision and prophet uh, and to anoint a most holy place. There's a debate about that, whether it's a most holy place or a most holy person. I think that the right translation is the most holy person and it's Jesus and him being recognized. Remember we read from um, Zechariah's prophecy that there's coming a day when Israel will see the one that they pierced and they'll weep and they'll mourn and they'll repent and they'll embrace him as their Messiah. And uh, he'll be anointed uh, the king, if you will, of Israel. And so this is great, right? 490 years and there'll be the end of this period of time And all of these things will be uh, what's going to happen. And then he says this, uh, next verse, uh, 25. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Okay, that happened in March of 444 B.C. We learned that from Nehemiah and Ezra. You remember there was a period of time where a new king comes in and he allows the people of Israel to go back and rebuild their city. And uh, it happened in March of 444 B.C. And so you know that. And, and so here's what Daniel is telling us, or God is telling Daniel. Here's what you need to know, Daniel. Know this and understand this, that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, who would be who? Jesus, right? So from the time that I'm telling you, when, when you, the king allows you to go back and start rebuilding you know, until the time that Jesus comes, and this is really fascinating, uh, until the, till the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks. How many years is that? Seven times seven is 49 years. 49 years, okay? Be 49 years. And then, um, in addition to that, 62 weeks, it shall be built with squares and moat. Uh, but in troubled time, and if you read Nehemiah and you read Ezra, you realize that the effort to rebuild Jerusalem was in a very troubled time. 
And, um, and then uh, look what it says. After those, uh, so, you know, 62 weeks and seven weeks is how many weeks? 62 and seven, 69 weeks. Now remember, God said it's going to be 70 weeks, 490 years. But 483 years, okay, one seven-week period short, after these 483 years, um, look what's going to happen. Um, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Jesus will be crucified. He will be killed. He will be cut off, and he'll have nothing. He will not have national Israel. He will not have Jerusalem. The Romans will still be in charge. He will have nothing. Right? I mean, it, it, it really is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, it, it totally blows my mind that if you use the Jewish calendar, which is based on uh, lunar uh, cycles, the moon, um, if you use the Jewish calendar and you do the math, okay, and uh, if you uh, accommodate for leap years and you accommodate for the transition from B.C. to A.D. and you do the math of 483 years, it comes out to April of 32 A.D., Palm Sunday. In 483 years, this anointed one will come and will be cut off. And when you do the math, you're like, whatever you take away from this, you got to know this is the word of God. This is so dependable. And here's God laying it out. There's a, a book called The Coming Prince by a Sir Robert Anderson who did this math and took this and, and, and went through the whole thing meticulously. You read that book and you're like, you're fascinated. Absolutely fascinated. This is 600 years before Christmas. God is laying this all out through Daniel to explain when. Nobody should have missed that, right? But here's the problem, right? We still have one seven-year period left because 483 years is not 490 years. There's seven years that are left. It's called the 70th week of Daniel. And so back in verse 26 here, the second part of this verse the people of the prince who is to come. Now, there's another prince, a second prince who's to come. And this is talking about the Antichrist. All right? And uh, the people of the prince who is to come. The people, the secular world of the, the, the prince who is to come. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This happened in 70 AD. Remember, the Romans were still in charge when Jesus was there. Jesus leaves and uh, in 70 A.D., the Romans destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple in 70 A.D. So what that means is that that 70th week cannot come consecutively right on the heels of the 69th. There's a gap. There's a gap between the so-called 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week because at least one event that happened that we know from history is the destruction that's talked about here by Daniel. And so that gap is now you know, 2,000 years big, right? And so we live in that gap. We live in that gap. That's, that's where we're at. And uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy, you know, the city and the sanctuary. And, of course, that was the Romans. And so most people think that the um, prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will come out of someplace in the old Roman Empire. 
But the Roman Empire was huge. The way the Romans kind of took over, it was genius. It gave them this huge empire. And um, if, if you were to take the Mediterranean Sea and just, you know, like draw a bigger circle around the Mediterranean Sea, you pretty much get the Roman Empire. It just was all over the place. And uh, it included some of these Arab nations that are in our news today. And so people, you know, who read this say, oh, so the Antichrist is going to come from someplace in that old Roman Empire, right? That's what Daniel's telling us. And uh, we can look for that. We should know that, right? And... Um, and that uh, its end shall come with a flood, and uh, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Um, and here's what's going to happen. Uh, let's see what time it is. Um, well, let me just uh, move ahead a little bit. Uh, I, I just want to show you this in the New Testament because, you know, for these prophets, when they looked down the corridor of time and God revealed to them, it's like they saw, you know, two mountain peaks, but they couldn't see the valley in between. So in the Old Testament, when you get prophecies about this time or about Jesus, a lot of times the first coming and the second coming of Jesus run together. And so you'll read, you know, the prophet will be describing something. You have to discern, you know, what's the first, what's related to the first coming and what's related to the second coming. And so when we get to the New Testament, uh, for example, Peter talks about this, this gap and uh, here's how he describes it in verse 10 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. He says, concerning this salvation um, that we enjoy, uh, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ. You see what he's saying there? He's saying these poor prophets, they were trying to discern. You know, they couldn't kind of see that Christ was going to come. And then there was going to be this huge gap of 2,000 years. We call it the church age. It's what happened because Israel rejected their Messiah. Right? It was always in the plan of God, yes. But what facilitated it was when uh, the Jewish people uh, crucified Jesus. And so now we live in this gap, this church age. It's the times in which we're living. Uh, the apostle uh, uh, Paul talked about this as well in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And here's how Paul put it. He says, um, you know, uh, when you read this, he says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and listen to this, partakers of the promise. Don't you love that? We Gentiles in this church age have become partakers of the promise that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to David and to Israel. We now have our day. This is why there's this huge gap, and this, nobody really knows you know, when it's going to be over. We have become partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you know what time it is? It's the times of the Gentiles. It's the time of the church. There's other places we could turn to if we had more time. You know, the, 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 uh, Israel has been uh, hardened, Paul says, Romans chapter 11. 
uh, the hearts of the people have been hearted until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so we're in this period of time. Uh, Paul calls it a mystery, this gap between the first 483 years, which are finished, and the last seven years, uh, it's the church age. It's the age of grace, as Peter says. It's the time for the obedience of faith, as Paul uh, calls it. It's the day of salvation for the world. And again, nobody knows how long that gap will last. So far, a couple thousand years. But it will end when Christ returns. And when Israel as a nation is resurrected and becomes this kingdom of righteousness and they accept the Lord for who he is and and so on. And how will that happen? Well, the very last verse of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, uh, puts it like this. Uh, This Antichrist, okay, he will make a strong covenant or a promise with many for one week. Somebody's going to arise and uh, make a deal with Israel, to, I think, to protect it, to bring peace to, you know, somebody that I think, you know, who can have influence, sway over all the enemies right around her. Um, and that person will make this deal for seven years. I'll protect you. You won't have to worry. I mean, Israel's pretty worried right now, right? We're the United States right in the middle of this whole thing with Iran and so forth. He will make a strong covenant. Uh, with many for one week, for seven years, and for half of the week, the second half of the week, for half of the week, and by the way, it's divided exactly to the day in half. This seven-year period, three and a half years, and three and a half years, there's all kinds of events that take place in this seven, uh, seventh, 70th week of Daniel, the seven years. And um, he'll put an end to offerings and sacrifice. He'll put an end to the Jewish religion. The Jews, many, not all, notice it says many, not all, the Jews will think he's going to save them and protect them. How many times have the Jewish people looked, instead of looking to God, looked to other uh, nations to protect them, and God got mad and God judged them? I mean, this is like deja vu, right? And uh, so this guy comes along, and then in the middle of the week, he turns on the people of Israel... And he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The desolator, right? Not the desolate, but the desolator. So Christ will come and put an end to the Antichrist. And we could go, you know, to many different places in Scripture and kind of demonstrate that. But uh, I want to just take you one last place in Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus, you know, uh, gives his Olivet Discourse. Um, And uh, he talks about this. And uh, he says, um, when you see the abomination, he calls it the abomination of desolation. Now, if we had time, Daniel 10, 11, and 12 are also prophetic about this same time. And uh, it's in Daniel 10, 11, and 12 that you read about this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. And there's this... Uh, there's this war between Syria and Egypt, and of course Israel's right in the middle. And this Antiochus Epiphanes from Syria is going to try to get Egypt, and the Romans come and prevent him from doing that. On his way home, he says, well, I'll take Israel. And he desecrates the temple. He goes in and puts a pig on the altar, right? And then he puts an image of himself up in the temple and demands the worship of all the people. And most of the people accommodate him because otherwise they're going to get killed. 
And it's like an exact replica, a prefiguring of what the Antichrist is going to do in the middle of the 70th week. And, so, and, and this is Jesus talking. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, uh, verse 21, uh, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be again. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. I think they're cut short by the rapture of the church. The way that those days are cut short is that God comes and takes his people out of the midst of that terrible time of tribulation where the Antichrist is trying to get rid of Christians and Jews, you know, and trying to make everybody bow down and worship him, uh, just as Antiochus Epiphanes did and so forth. And that time is cut short by the, I think, the rapture of the church. I think if you really want to study prophecy, you have to take Daniel, you have to take Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation and put them side by side and make them all say the same thing. And it won't be as confusing as you think. Uh, what happens is people read bits and pieces and they get so confused, they say, oh, I can't understand this. Gabriel came and told it to Daniel so that Daniel could understand these things, so that we could understand. They're recorded in the scriptures for us. It's just so important to know uh, the times uh, that we're in. And so the word of God is absolutely dependable, but the word of people in the world is absolutely undependable. Think if you're Israel and you trust this guy to protect you, and right in the middle, he turns on you, right? The word of God is dependable. That's what's going to happen. But the word of people, the word of the world, is absolutely not dependable. Uh, God's promises are secure. You can bank your life on it. The first 480 years that God reveals here are directly connected to the first coming of Jesus, and the last seven years are directly connected to the second coming of Jesus. And um, right now uh, is the age of the Gentiles, the church age. And so it's crucial for us to live aware of God's purpose for our times. Um, I just want to remind you uh, that starting next Sunday on NBC uh, is the AD series. And we've made arrangements uh, for anybody who wants to to be invited to somebody's house, kind of have an AD party. But basically, this TV series picks up uh, after Easter and what ha the development of the church age and God's will for this age. And so our thought was if you could get together and you could watch that and then discuss it with one another, you could have some fun, learn some things. And um, last time when this series uh, ran uh, you know, up to Easter, uh, it was pretty faithful to the scriptures. And so I would encourage you on your connection card, there's a place for you to just make a check, uh, check mark and somebody will call you and invite you to their home uh, according to the schedule that they set up. So we're going to ask our ushers if they would come now and uh, wait on us for our tithes and offerings. And as we do that, uh, we have this uh, little trailer from the AD series so that you can know a little bit better what it's all about. And then after that, we're going to sing together one more time. <laughs> 